Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Today we're in uh, the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 9 through 11. Uh, It's the 26th of the Torah studies. And uh, the first scripture in Leviticus 9.1 begins with, It came to pass on the eighth day. And as soon as I read that, I realized what you know, what's, a, what's the number of a new beginning? Number eight, the eighth day, new beginning. So I believe this teaching is pointing us toward that very thing, a new beginning. How, about it, how many of you know someone that could really use a new beginning? You know, we could use a little dab-a-doo of of that ourselves. (laughs) Amen. And so I entitled this message, and Gerald, you could write this down, uh, Discover How You Can Live a Transformed Life. Amen. Discover How You Can Live a Transformed Life. That's one of those uh, titles for clickbait. (laughs) you got to think of a good title or no one will listen. <laughs> and uh, uh, and so we're studying uh, this this idea of a new beginning, and it's no coincidence. We just happen to be in day fourteen of a fifty day journey uh, between Passover, the biblical holiday of Passover, and the biblical holiday of Pentecost. Uh, and that whole journey is designed to transform us and lead us into a new beginning, as we'll get into this morning. Each of these 50 days uh, are meant to be a time of spiritual preparation and transformation, and it's biblically, it's called counting the Omer. Uh, God said to Israel, count seven weeks of seven Sabbaths, and then on the 50th day, just after Israel arrived at Mount Sinai, he said he would meet with them and bring them another outpouring. What he did in Passover was a certain outpouring, but what he did in Pentecost is a separate outpouring. Two separate experiences separated by these 50 days. This time at Pentecost, or in Hebrew, what is Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and you can read on that on your own time in Leviticus 23, uh, this would be the time that God would bring an outpouring of revelation knowledge. Through the wisdom of the Bible. This is where he gave Israel, and by extension, the Bible, the Torah, the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, most people don't realize, most Christians don't realize, that Pentecost and Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, are the identical biblical holiday. Pentecost is the Greek word that means 50. And it's the celebration that the church celebrates Uh, out of the book of Acts when God in Acts chapter 2 gave the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
right? And so this was 50 days after the death of Jesus. Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, in Hebrew, in Leviticus 23, is the celebration of God giving Israel and the world the Bible, the Torah. So at Pentecost, we celebrate the birth of the New Testament church. At Shavuot, same holiday, it was cel- we were celebrating at that point the birth of Israel as a nation. And so the moment, uh, this moment at Mount Sinai at Pentecost, when Shavuot, those seven weeks, uh, uh, came to pass, it, it became Israel's July 4th. All right? And so at Mount Sinai, at the first Pentecost, Shavuot, God gave Israel founding documents. This is how you're going to govern the nation. And as a nation, you're going to be the prototype for the nations of the world. Just like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights became America's foundation, the Torah became Israel's foundation. That became the blueprint, the instruction manual for how to live as one nation under God. Hadn't happened before. In fact, uh, there's only two nations in world history that were ever founded as a nation under God. Israel and America. So Israel pledged their allegiance to the Lord of Lords. Yehovah, Yahweh, Hashem. Just as our founding fathers pledged their their allegiance to the ideals of that we would be a Judeo-Christian nation. And so this explains why the devil works overtime trying to burn down America's system, trying to discredit and defame Israel and America. But within what we're talking about today, this 50-day journey... And it'll connect, uh, I'll show you how it connects to Leviticus here uh, as we get into this a little bit further. But there's a pattern that God wants you and I to see in connection to the 50 days. And we've talked about it. Uh, You've learned this in the past. You're so faithful, always attending, always learning. You study to show yourself approved. Well done. But Passover is the event that you can liken to the prayer of salvation. Passover brought Israel out of Egypt, broke the bondage of Egypt and Pharaoh. Symbolically for you and I, that's like breaking the bondage of sin. That's what happens at the altar call. And uh, uh, when you, uh, we've all done this. I did this on March uh, 11th, 1984. Prayed the prayer of salvation. And in that prayer, I made a decision. Just like you made a decision, right? You made a commitment to serve the Lord. And part of that commitment meant I'm leaving Egypt. I'm leaving the past behind. So that's a, that, that's, if that's the only experience you ever have, that's a good experience. But there's more. God has more than one experience. 
And the church has stumbled over this for many, many years because they don't realize that Pentecost is connected to Passover by these 50 days. And the 50 days that follows Passover is a spiritual process. And that's the process God puts into place for getting the sin of Egypt out of us. He's gotten us out of Egypt. Now, let's begin to work out our salvation and get the Egypt, that sin mentality, out of us and replace it with a God mentality. And so that's why we need to get to Pentecost for this second experience. Because God intends to pour out His Spirit upon His people. And that Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, will bring with Him the wisdom of God. We need to stop operating under the wisdom of what we learned in our before Christ days. Now maybe there's some things that transfer over. But by and large, the value system, the way we think, uh, things that got embedded deep in our psyche from uh, a child, they're probably still in there lurking around somewhere. and That's what's leading you into wrong directions. And God is saying, we've got a 50-day journey. Really, it just symbolizes a lifelong journey of trying to get Egypt out of us. Getting out of Egypt seems to be the easy part. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of every sin. Break the power of every curse and launch me into a new beginning. Bam! The other part, working it out, that, that's a, a lifelong journey. Symbolic of the 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. So God wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit which is the wisdom of God, the power of God, the discernment, the insight, the, the strategy, the creativity, the empowerment to live the Christian life. Because even Mount Sinai and Pentecost wasn't the last stop. After they left Mount Sinai, where'd they go? The promised land. But there were some flaws in their character that got them off track and that first generation missed the blessing and promises of God and never entered in because they weren't applying the lessons. Reminds me of my time in Bible college. I've told you this before. Remember my little story about Reinhard Bonnke. And uh, here I'm a young guy uh, in the Lord uh, and uh, I immediately enrolled into Bible college so I would uh, uh, fast track my way out of darkness, out of stupidity into uh, the kingdom of God. And Reinhard Bonnke came to the church and he said something I'll never uh, uh, forget. He said, students, the gospel is like soap. It only works when it's applied. And so uh, uh, Israel struggled to apply these lessons and it cost them. And I dare say that when we forget to apply the lessons and we're still, we've been in the Lord for how many uh, years and we're still trying to operate under the altar call anointing. 
God is not wanting you to stay at the altar and operate under the altar call anointing. That's happened at Passover. He's got to get you to Pentecost where you fall in love with the Word. And you're always thinking about things through the prism of the Word. What does the Word say? What's God's Word for this circumstance, for that circumstance? And that Word is seed. And that seed will grow, but it takes time. And a lot of people get frustrated because it doesn't happen by Friday. R.W. Shambach, remember remember R.W.? He would always say, I used to listen to his show all the time on the radio, God doesn't always pay on Friday, but he always pays on time. So this, uh, what we're talking about, is an outline for uh, living the transformed life. You're not only saved from something, you also need to be saved into something else. And that something else is the B-I-B-L-E. The presence of God. The mindset, the ways of God. Show me your ways, Lord. Let me be like a man that's connected to you deeply and intimately so that I can learn this whole new way of living. I need to learn a whole new mindset. It's based on a whole different set of values and beliefs and morals. And uh, it's symbolic of what's meant to take place during this 50-day journey from Passover to Pentecost. Now, we uh, just kind of a, a paid Christian announcement. Uh, uh, many years ago, we, uh, uh, Tamara and I and our dear sister Noel, who's gone on to be with the Lord, we worked for weeks and weeks taking all of Pastor and Tiz's sermons and notes and things from the book and put them into a 50-day devotional that we advertise to people that don't know uh, about this. And you may have seen the advertisement on the video announcements, 50 Days to a Better You. And if you go to 50days.life, you can get this free 50-day devotional with all of Pastor and Tiz's main sermons condensed into little golden nuggets, 50 golden nuggets, and it'll just be in your email inbox. Not bad, huh? So God wants to not only get us out of Egypt, we're on a personal journey. Get me out of Egypt, Lord. Help, Mr. Wizard. (laughs) That's a stupid cartoon from my kid days. Get us to Mount Sinai to get the word so then we can move on and experience living life in the promised land. And that's all takes, uh, it's a growing process. But I got to thinking how Jesus neatly summed this up in John 8, 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, in that, hallelujah, in that scripture, there's... There's a process. People were believing, 
But Jesus wanted them then, like he wants you and I now, to transition from being a believer to being a disciple. And that's what's going on in the church today in Torah study. You're transitioning from being a believer. Hopefully you're a believing believer. As Pastor Greg would always say. God bless Pastor Greg and Robin. But uh, not everybody uh, who's a believer really believes. In fact, the Bible says the, de- the devils believe. Right? Book of James. They have the good sense to tremble. It's <laughs> but we, we see this 50 days then as a... Uh, as a process of transformation from the people who believed in him becoming my disciples. And the way that you become a disciple if you remain faithful to the Bible's teachings. We can't do it because we watch a few Christian TV shows. That ain't going to cut it, folks. That's all adds to it. But you've got to be more of a disciple than, well, I watch Daystar once in a while. Or I come to church once. Of course, I'm preaching to the choir here. You're here and doing all of this. And, but this is what transforms your life. Amen? It renews the spirit of your mind. And, and so we might as well enjoy the journey. We might as well enjoy getting up and going to church. We don't have to, we get to. We might as well enjoy learning how to pray powerful prayers and graduate beyond prayers like now I lay me. Okay? And it doesn't happen automatically. But it will happen. If you put yourself on God's assembly line, it will happen. Because the good news is he'll never leave us or forsake us. He'll be with us every step of the way. Remember the whole thing on footprints in the sand. Amen. So as you dig a little deeper into these principles, there's an amazing connection between Passover, Pentecost, uh, and this 50 days of counting uh, the Omer and today's Torah study. And uh, I want to dig into this a little bit more, but uh, just uh, if somebody's listening and gets a little bit nervous about going back into Old Testament things, uh, it, God's principle in the Old and the New Testament uh, to, uh, and his desire to transform us is summed up like in Ephesians 4. Oh, good, he's in the New Testament. Ephesians 4. It says in verse 22, put off the old man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man created in righteousness and true holiness. And so that's the goal. The old man full of sin. The old man full of rebellion. The old man full of old opinions and attitudes, philosophies and ideas. Those things need to be transformed. They need to be, uh, uh, it's like Zig Ziglar said. We all come into Christianity needing a checkup from the neck up. Because we all have various levels of stinking thinking. But this describes that process of, or pattern of transformation. Uh, 
God has, has it planned, and he embeds it into the Old Testament when you think about the tabernacle and the temple offerings. Last week, uh, or two weeks ago, we received our Passover offering. That's a first fruits offering. Then at Pentecost, we're going to receive another first fruits offering. But what's hidden in the offering is the way God set it up initially in the Old Testament that the Passover offering at that time that was brought on the second day of Passover when the counting of the Omer started uh, was a barley offering. And the barley offering is symbolic of animal food and represents the idea spiritually that we need to shed those layers of that animalistic instinct. That Adamic nature, that sinful nature, that evil inclination that draws us back to the very things we got saved out of. Okay? Uh, But what happens then, okay, so we have these 50 days, we're transforming our lives, we're committed to change. And at Pentecost, the offering changes to a wheat offering. And wheat offering is predominantly a human food. Let's make some challah bread out of wheat, right? Uh, And that symbolizes between the barley and now to the wheat offering, a transition took place. A transformation took place from the animal nature... To God's divine nature. And really, isn't that our goal? We want to be more like Jesus. Who wants to be more like Jesus? I see everybody's hand. Who wants to be more like the devil? I don't see any hands. So this is why God has this on his calendar. We didn't even know God had a calendar. But on his calendar, there are appointed times. There are Bible holidays, and those Bible holidays aren't just to uh, uh, celebrate something physically. It's to glean something spiritually. Amen? And so every day uh, uh, on this 50 days, uh, we're, we're not only counting up to the 50 days, we're counting the Omer, we're learning how to make the count count. How do I make this time in my life count, Lord, so that I can become more transformed, more like Christ than ever before? And God will be there to help you. The Holy Spirit will be there to help you. But if you're going to uh, uh, see that transformation, you've got to continue in the Word. You've got to be working the Word, working the Christian life. Christians need to learn how to be good farmers. All right? Why? Because we want to grow in God, right? Everybody wants to grow in God. So watch how this connects. The Omer is actually a biblical unit of measure for things like grain. It's like a basket or a barrel. It's an Omer's worth. It's a biblical measurement. And it's not a coincidence that in Hebrew the word uh, for Measurement is the very same word used to define character traits. Right? We've heard the song and read the book, A Measure of a Man. The statement there, what's the measure of a man? 
How do you count the measure of a man or a woman? In Hebrew, the word uh, uh, for measurement is the very same word for character traits. And so... Counting the omer, which is a measurement, is a time to examine ourselves to see if we're getting out more of the old man and in with more of the new man or woe man. Amen? And look, you wouldn't be here if you didn't want to measure up. You're pursuing the things of God, and that's a good thing. And look, it, uh, it, it takes time. You don't plant a seed on day one, and on day two, you get a harvest. All right? But God will add miracle grow to those that go the extra mile. And we'll get to that place sooner versus later. Now, all of this, amazingly, leads us into today's Torah study in Leviticus 9 through 11. And uh, one of the key studies is on the laws of keeping kosher. And so, it, it, it's just amazing how you can, remember pastors teaching on uh, uh, the uh, uh, paradise, P-R, parties, yeah, P-R-D-S. When you get down deeper into the, the word past the milk stage, the basic uh, meaning of text, and you begin to reach that drosh stage, you begin to connect things. God in your mind will connect things and help you understand at a deeper level. Why does that matter? Because the deeper your foundation, the stronger you are when the storms come. And storms come, right? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Somebody, we lived in Seattle for nine years. Somebody told me uh, back then that the, uh, the space needle is as deep as it is tall. Now, I don't know, we can Google that and see if that be the case. But uh, it, to me, that tells me what an illustration that Christians need to learn how to go deeper. Well, I got Jesus, that's all I want. Well, you need more than just Jesus, right? You need the living word of God, every chapter, every verse, <laughs> right? And it takes a journey. It takes a life. We're, we're on that journey, and it's a good journey. So amazingly, what we're talking about, Passover, Pentecost, 50-day journey, transformation, uh, connects with uh, the laws of keeping kosher, in, in Hebrew, the word for kosher means fit or proper. That's a fitting way to do that. That's a proper way to do that. Kosher. That's a kosher way to do that. Now, what we're going to discover is that God establishes something in the physical, but whenever God gives us something for the physical, there's always a spiritual truth connected with it. A divine principle. This is why you can't throw out the Old Testament as so many uh, churches uh, uh, and pastors preach. Unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. Well, you shouldn't do that because that's still the wisdom of God. And within that wisdom, there's spiritual principles and truths. And there's one here today when it comes to uh, kosher, which means, again, the correct or proper way to do something. 
And what God is going to show us today, and we can't get into it all, is that keeping kosher is much more about living a kosher life, proper and fitting in the eyes of God, than it is about eating kosher. Both are part of God's plan. But, as we're going to see, one has a higher priority. Now, Leviticus 11 outlines all of this. Uh, And in verse 45, he says, I am Adonai, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, you are to be holy because I am holy. Such then is the law concerning, and then it goes into uh, forbidden food uh, and permissible food, clean and unclean. But notice how God connects what you're supposed to eat, what you're not supposed to eat with being holy. And there's the clue that living a kosher life, living a holy life, a proper life, a fitting life, based on the word of God, that's the bigger thing. Be ye holy as I am holy. And it all ties into what you and I have been learning through Pastor Larry. Everything God gives has a physical and spiritual side. So keeping kosher does pertain to what goes into our digestive system. That's the outer man. But there's a deeper truth. And the deeper truth is what goes into the inner man. Because what we're consuming and absorbing in our soul, in our spirit, affects our spiritual health, just like what kind of foods we eat has an effect on our physical health. Amen? Who's ever heard garbage in? Garbage out. That applies here. And so as I was uh, uh, researching this, I uh, came across a joke I shared several years back that you might find funny about uh, kosher. There was a certain Jewish man who attended synagogue and was always dismayed by the fact he was never able to eat pork chops. The idea of eating some bacon or ham sandwiches, pork chops, had a certain lure and appeal. So one uh, year he decided to plan a vacation to a remote tropical resort as a secret way to try it out. And so he gets to the resort, he goes to the restaurant for his first dinner, uh, and he ordered this extravagant meal that included pork. And so he's sitting there at the table, you know, and he's just, uh, his mouth is watering. And suddenly he hears his name called from across the restaurant. And he looks up to see a group of his friends from the synagogue who have come to the same resort on vacation. And it was just at that very moment that the waiter came out with his dinner on a big, huge silver platter. And he was carrying with him this roasted pig with an apple in its mouth. And so now, he, what am I going to say? So all the congrega- uh, his fellow congregation members are looking at him, and he 
looks up at them and he says, Wow, you order an apple in this place and look at what they bring with it. Amen. Praise God. So, what we're getting at spiritually, jokes aside, is there's two aspects to keeping kosher. There's the physical and the spiritual. What we consume for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and what we consume every day in our spirit and soul... Uh, there needs to be an awareness where we're distinguishing between things that God permits and things that God doesn't permit. We would uh, do well to understand that in other areas. Look at what our government is trying to pass into law when it comes to relationships. Are there still, should there still be such a thing as forbidden relationships? Yeah. And uh, so that applies to this as well. Uh, The guidelines not only have a physical but a spiritual side. But they also have a lesser and greater side. Not only is there physical and spiritual, there's lesser and then there's greater. And keeping moral and ethical kosher in our relationships, in our business deals, and overall, just by how we live our lives, that's the greater lesson. We need to learn how to live a transformed life or a kosher life. Can you say amen? And we do that over time. You know, we're trying to get that old man out. All those old attitudes, and and it's a lifelong journey to learn how to have a more righteous attitude. How do I become more patient, more loving, more kind with my family, my wife, my husband, uh, uh, and on and on and on. We need to learn how to be more honest and truthful. How to be able to accept responsibility, to become a disciple, to be disciplined. That's the larger lesson. And Jesus explains this in Matthew 15.11. In Matthew 15.11, this is from the Passion Translation, he says, The Lord, what truly contaminates a person is not what he puts into his mouth, but what comes out of his mouth. That's, that's what makes people defiled. All right? So... Look, the church has used this in other scriptures, and we could, I, I have teaching on all of it, but th- th- there are some who have been trained that this scripture is the green light to eat anything you want. But that's not Jesus' intent to abrogate or cancel kosher laws. He isn't ending kosher guidelines. He's not putting honey-baked ham back on the menu. Boys, honey-baked ham is back on the menu. He's applying this lesser and greater teaching, this concept. He's reprioritizing the biblical value system. Where up until he had come, could it have been that we got too many man's traditions in works... And we didn't get the spiritual principles and lessons we were met, and we were just following legalistically things. We do that in church, right? 
Some of you ladies are burning in hell for all of eternity today in certain denominations because you didn't wear a dress. Well, there's no Bible scripture that says that. And yet we've made that a doctrine, and the doctrines have negated the real truth and power of the Word of God. Look, both eating kosher and living kosher are biblical. Amen. But purity, being clean in the spiritual context is living a holy life, and that should be emphasized more than ritual purity. Both are true, but one is more true. It's just like John 3.16. It's true that God hates sin, and uh, it's true that sinners, the wages of sin is death, but John 3.16 also says God so loved the world. Did God hate sin? Yes. But John 3.16 the most is the greater truth. I so loved you Amen. that I gave you the pathway to live. All right? So Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount, don't think I've come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to complete. I've come to complete your understanding. I've went back uh, to Yoda to complete my training. I've come to complete your understanding of what Moses and the prophets were teaching. They had a certain revelation, and it's a good revelation. It's a foundation we've been building on for 3,500 years. But when Jesus said, uh, or uh, let me say it this way, when we're taught in denomination and traditional church that Jesus fulfilled the law, so that means I don't have to. That's incorrect thinking. Jesus didn't render it obsolete. We just read that. When he said that, uh, when we say uh, that because Jesus fulfilled the law, so we don't have to, we're missing the point. The idea that because Jesus obeyed the Torah, does away with our need to obey it, isn't very logical. Well, Jesus obeyed it, so I don't have to. Huh? Well, it's too hard. The Ten Commandments are too hard. No, they're not. It's just learning how to live a kosher life, a transformed life, a resurrected life. And uh, the more principles we learn, the more we apply those principles, whether they're in Genesis or Revelation, the better our life will be, the more equipped we'll be, the better trained we'll be. Amen. Amen? Look, if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, God gave them a commandment concerning food. Don't eat the forbidden fruit. So he's not only asking Adam and Eve to exercise a certain physical discipline, but also, please exercise some spiritual discernment, Adam, Eve. It was actually a spiritual test using a physical example. Can you control your cravings and appetites? Don't eat that forbidden fruit. Right? And of course, they, uh, they passed the test for a while, and then one day they, they got uh, a rope adult by the serpent. 
But God forgave them, and God always forgives. If you ask for forgiveness, no matter what mistake you might make, there's no mistake big enough that it can't be forgiven by the love of God and the forgiveness of God. It helps if you're sincerely repenting and not just uh, repenting because you got caught. (laughs) There's a difference between needing forgiveness because you got caught and needing forgiveness because you're sincerely sorry you did the deed. Amen? Uh, Look, we could get into Noah. Noah uh, uh, is told by God to make a distinction between kosher and unkosher animals. Read Genesis 7-2. Take with you seven each of every clean animal and two of each of the unclean. So here's your distinction. From the beginning, the Bible is setting guidelines for what food is and what food isn't, but it's all meant to point us to a higher purpose. It's not as much about the animal that it is about you. Amen. So one of the most shocking scriptures about eating kosher is found in the New Testament. Yeah, the New Testament. And it's something we in the church completely ignore. But if you go into Acts 15, it explains what happened at this great council of leaders led by Pastor James. And they had all these discussions that are written down in in, uh, Acts 15 And eventually, they decided that there would be some requirements placed on Gentiles who got born again. And amazingly, three of the four are kosher guidelines. Acts 15.19 says, this is James, I've decided that we shouldn't trouble non-Jewish people who are turning to God. Let's not put too much on them to get started. Instead, we should write a letter telling them, because this revival of the Gentiles was sweeping around. They obviously didn't have phones and Pony Express and, you know, uh, uh, the Internet. But it says, write a letter to keep uh, and tell them to keep away from things polluted by false gods. What, What things are polluted by false gods? The offering. And typically, what was the offering? A sacrificed animal that they would offer and then eat in uh, the pagan temple. So there's one thing. Then it says, from sexual sin. That's number two. And then it says, from eating the meat of strangled animals and from eating bloody meat. Isn't that amazing? Three of the four starting instructions for new converts include... Eating kosher. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't eat meat meat strangled. In other words, they weren't kosherly killed. And don't eat meat filled with blood. Now these guidelines were meant to preserve the fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. And this became the starting point. And even today we ought to understand this. And back then, as it is today, Gentiles don't need to become Jewish. We're not here at New Beginnings trying to make you Jewish. You're not becoming a Jewish convert. We, don't, we very rarely even use the term Messianic. 
but we are teaching as they're teaching. We all, from back then, Acts 15 till now, need to build up our level of respect of the kosher lifestyle. Not mock it. We're not mocking mezuzahs, eating kosher, wearing a tallit, blowing a shofar, learning about Jewish things. That's all part of our Ancestry.com. Amen. So God's given us kosher guidelines in both the Old and the New Testaments. And Jesus came in and he gave us the more complete understanding of how this works. And he says, don't be focused on all the rituals at the expense of not getting the main point. You're not keeping the main thing the main thing. So I'm going to re-explain it. And in fact, if you go in to the Sermon on the Mount, he re-explains six different Jewish laws and updates them and shows us the completer, more full understanding of what God meant. And we can glean those principles and apply them to our lives today. And that's what's going to lead us into this transformation where we're all of a sudden manifesting the blessing and power and miracles of God. How many of you want more blessing and power and miracles? This is how you do it. So the greater truth is to be kosher spiritually. And with this in mind, I just created here for the, in the last two minutes, I'll go through them quickly, eight kosher habits of highly successful Christians. Amen. Amen. Number one, become surrendered. Romans 12, 1, be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual duty. Did we get the critters under control? Hallelujah! We'll talk more later. You had to be in early morning prayer to know what I'm talking about. Number two, become a student. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul says to Timothy that you've known things from childhood that come out of the sacred writings that have made you wise and have led you to this place of salvation. So lather, rinse, and repeat on that. Become surrendered, become a student. Number three, become a saint. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue and add to your virtue knowledge and to your knowledge self-control and then patience to godliness, to brotherly love and, and just add these qualities and increase them in your life. This is what will keep you until the Lord returns. Become a saint. Become a servant, number four. Matthew 23, 11, the greatest in the kingdom, a servant of all. Number five, the fifth habit of highly successful Christians. Become a steward. 2 Timothy 1, 14. Guard well this incomparable treasure by the spirit of holiness living in you. Number six, become a singer. 
Ephesians 5.19, let your hearts overflow with a joyful song to the Lord. Hallelujah. Keep speaking to others with words of Scripture, singing the Psalms with praises and spontaneous songs given by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.19. The seventh habit, become a shalom maker, a peacemaker. A shalom maker, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are you that make peace with people. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then number eight, the eighth kosher habit of highly successful Christians. Become speech aware. 1 Peter 3.10 says, if you want a happy, good life, keep control of your tongue and guard your lips from telling lies. Amen.